For a few years now, I've been working on becoming a bit more in tune with my body. First, I started with an assignment from my therapist to stop once a day and identify how I feel. No clue. The frustration came mainly because back then I was living only within my head. My brain ruled it all. If there was a challenge, brain solved it. If there was an illness, brain knew all about it. Body was barely in second place, not of much value to my bully brain. Body cannot think, body cannot talk, body cannot reason or critique. It had nothing on brain. I would try to take my therapist's suggestions to listen to my body, but I couldn't help but hear brain up there scoffing and wailing and laughter. It's a stupid idea, listening to body. Elbow can't talk, it is an elbow. Brain promoted this idea within me for years. I listened because brain is the part of me that knows things and I like to know things. And knowing things is one way I maintain a sense of control. It has only been in the last few months that I've made a change within that allows me, without knowing why, to listen to the various parts of me. Where do you feel it? My therapist asks as we move through another session of EMDR, stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It was a remarkable day when I could answer the persistent question, where do you feel it? I felt it in my chest. I had no words for the feeling in my chest. It was just tight and seemed to radiate outwards. Soon, I was making connections with various other body parts, wondering what they had to say. Brain began anew to bully body, trying to pummel it into submission, leaving me wondering, which one am I? Who is talking? Am I brain or am I body? Am I both and all the parts at once? Or does each part get its own place at the me table? Hard not to get all existential while trying to have a conversation with one's body parts. Plus, the bonus is the harder I pondered the who and the how, I could avoid doing the work of hearing what my body actually has to say. Here's what I've learned. Body holds trauma. Body, therefore, has much to say and needs to be heard for me to begin the process of moving beyond the trauma. The more I understood the body's role in my healing, the better I was at silencing my bully brain. I realized that as a person with bipolar, I live my life in ways not unlike the werewolf. At the core of the similarity is control, maintaining control of self. I feel like I need to maintain control in order not to spew anxiety and mania and darkness all over the world. By smiling my days away, so afraid to let others see what is behind the curtain of that smile, I was letting my inner werewolf win. I didn't know how to stop hiding myself while out in the world. I saw inside me a monster that did not deserve to be in the light. So my genuine, complete self was stifled. About 10 years ago, I found this fellowship, this community of acceptance, and I started to make the kinds of friends with whom I felt I could authentically be myself. Only 
I had hidden that self for so long that first I had to do some work to figure out who she was. It was only after I started having people in places that felt safe to me that I was able to begin to let go of the mask I had always worn and to start discovering the monster within me was actually a gloriously flawed human. It was terrifying and liberating. Just as the werewolf is likely afraid of being discovered, I was afraid of losing friends if they found out who I really was, that I was not nearly as happy as I seemed. My path these days involves embracing my inner werewolf, learning to be okay with my internal monsters and demons allows me to imagine a time others could be okay with them too. After years of only focusing on what was going on in my mind, it became clear that it was crucial for healing to move into body, to learn and hear what secrets lie within me that even I don't know. The winding path of discovery started with resistance. My elbow can't talk. Moved slowly into possibility, I could recognize where I felt something in my body. And finally, to resolve. My arms told me something about past trauma that I'd forgotten. Once the arm was heard, the pain that had plagued that arm slowly began to cease. My inner werewolf was slowly dying, transforming into an understanding of self I never imagined possible. Transforming into more of a companion animal that offers guidance and support rather than an angry gargoyle guarding the vault. Thank you so much to Cindy for her wise thoughts and sharing her experience. And thank you so much to our choir and musicians for that beautiful and moving piece by John Denver. My partner Justin and I, we've recently been watching a British TV series from 2008, a series called Being Human. I know that there was an American spinoff, I know nothing about it, um, and I will say this, this series comes with some graphic content, so let me give that disclaimer, I'm not recommending that everyone go and check it out. It's a supernatural drama about a vampire, a ghost, and a werewolf all living together as roommates. They're all trying to be good despite their supernatural urges. They're trying to assimilate with the human beings in their community. The name of the werewolf on the show is George. And George is tortured by his existence as a werewolf. Tortured by a curse that forces him to painfully transform into this beast the night of every single full moon. Blacking out without any control over himself and whatever havoc he might wreak in his wolf form. There was one episode we watched recently when George had this idea to use tranquilizers during one of his monthly wolf transformations, hoping that they would sedate the wolf inside of him. 
He uses a video camera to film what happens that night so that he can watch the footage of himself afterwards and see if his idea works. Later in the episode, when human George watches the video playback of his night, he sees himself as a giant wolf sleeping peacefully in a cage that he'd set up in his bedroom instead of uncontrollably running amok. Now the actor who played George on this show, I have to say he did such a good job of showing this palpable relief and excitement that this character felt in that moment when he watched himself as the sleeping wolf. He had figured it out. The ultimate werewolf hack, it seemed too good to be true. Could it be? Could he have finally figured out a way to control this monster inside him? Was he finally free from this curse? Could he now go off and live a normal life unburdened by his wolf self? Well, I'm not going to give any spoilers. I'll just say that things don't go as he'd hoped, much like we might expect with what we know about using substances to numb ourselves and how that isn't helpful. But I will say that when I was watching this episode, watching the character George watch himself as a sleeping wolf, and I saw the hope that he was feeling, the excitement, the relief, that really got to me. It felt relatable on a deep level. And I mean, I'm not a werewolf, but I have felt like there have been creatures inside of me, creatures that I wish I could just make go to sleep. Whether it's been a feeling of anxiety, squeezing my chest like a boa constrictor, or obsessive thoughts and ruminations flooding my brain like frantic swarms of loud bees. This character, George, on this show, his distress from his experience as a werewolf spoke so deeply to personal struggles within myself. And wouldn't life be so great if I could just figure out my own hack, right? Figure out a way to calm my own inner beasts. Gosh, life would be just so much easier. Today, we're in our second week of Monster Month here at the Fellowship. And in our first reading, we heard this morning, blogger and chaplain Tom Chappelle Lewis he made this really astute distinction between modern portrayals of werewolves and those we see of other monsters. The real terror isn't in the idea of being attacked by a werewolf, he points out. The actual fear that werewolves represent is the fear of becoming one, the fear of not being in control of yourself. You know, it's interesting. When I was reading more about werewolf folklore, 
in preparation for today's service, I found multiple sources that pointed out how society's portrayals of werewolves, these fictional creatures, have changed over time. It used to be that a werewolf was exclusively seen as a one-dimensional villain, a terror that needed to be hunted. Today, stories about werewolves have become much more complex, much more nuanced, even sympathetic. And it's no coincidence that this evolution of werewolf tales has taken place in our society and changed in the same ways as the changes we've seen in views of mental illness. What was once villainized, now much more complex, nuanced, and sympathetic. Those of us with any experience with mental illness likely know what it feels like to be taken over by something else to have thoughts or feelings or compulsions that feel so powerful, so unstoppable, to be afraid of parts of ourselves. At times feeling very little control over our own brains, over our own bodies, over our own hearts. And mental illness isn't the only experience that's like this. The struggle to control parts of ourselves, it's much more common than we often acknowledge. I mean, think about all those messy parts in life. Think about grief. Think about aging. Think about trauma. These, experience that can, these experiences that can leave us feeling helpless when it comes to controlling our own thoughts and emotions and bodies. Grief. Anyone who has experienced a major loss in life knows that there is often no rhyme or reason to the waves of pain and sorrow that can follow comes out of nowhere. It takes us by surprise. Sometimes our bodies overtaken with sobbing and wailing. Sounds that don't even sound like us. Sounds that sounds sounds that sound like the distressed cries of an animal, right? Or perhaps sometimes we feel frozen and lost by grief. And we have very little control over any of it. Aging. I know that perhaps I'm not the best person to talk about aging yet in my stage of life. But I do hear it from friends who are elders. There are many wonderful parts about getting older and also some tough Perhaps it's a struggle to live in a body that does not move like it used to. Perhaps it's a memory that can feel so elusive or so fragile. Perhaps it's a loss of feelings of freedom 
when it becomes unsafe to do things like drive a car or live independently. And we have very little control over any of it. Trauma. I really appreciate how Cindy in her reflection described her discoveries of trauma being held in her, her own body and mind. Trauma shapes our nervous systems, causing all sorts of alarms to go off. Danger, danger, danger. Even when in reality, we are perfectly safe. And we often find ourselves with so little control over any of it. Gosh, life can be so hard, right? And it's so easy to tell ourselves things like, if only I can get myself together, or geez, just snap out of it, or come on, I just got to figure this out. It's so easy to long for that life hack that avoids all of this messy stuff. It's so easy to blame or shame ourselves when the struggle for control feels like a character flaw. It's so easy to take pain and suffering in life and translate that to, there must be something wrong with me. Well, I'm here to say this for whoever needs to hear it. There is nothing wrong with you. Our Unitarian Universalist faith says that you are not insufficient, that you are whole no matter how broken you feel. Our faith tells us that. Now, to be clear, when we talk today about feeling out of control, that does not give permission for any sort of harm. In fact, it's interesting how many modern portrayals of werewolves go to such great lengths to show the measures that these fictional characters take to prevent themselves from causing any sort of harm. Those who may have been into Harry Potter might remember Professor Lupin talking about all the precautions he takes so that he doesn't hurt anyone. But when it comes to these deeply human experiences, experiences like mental illness, experiences like grief, experiences like aging, experiences like trauma, these experiences that have the potential to sit in the driver's seat of our minds, of our bodies, of our hearts, one of the best things that we can do for ourselves is acknowledge how hard things are. To acknowledge it and listen with compassion for ourselves. To find whatever help and connection allows us to care for that werewolf, to pay attention and tend to those parts of ourselves that can feel so impossible, so overwhelming. Because life is hard. 
And being human means that we all have limitations. And recognizing that, holding ourselves tenderly through it, that's so vital to moving forward toward healing, toward love, toward liberation. Psychology and self-compassion expert, Dr. Kristen Neff, has so much to say about the importance of self-compassion. If you haven't yet come across her work, I really encourage you to check it out. And at this time, I'd actually like to invite us into what she calls a self-compassion break. It's something quick that can be done anytime, anywhere. So go ahead and put your feet flat on the floor. Feel free if you feel comfortable to close your eyes. Think of something that is causing you stress. Perhaps for the sake of our service today, something within you that is causing you stress. Call that situation to mind. See if you can actually feel the stress and the emotional discomfort in your body. Now say to yourself, this is a moment of suffering. You could also say something like, this hurts. Or just, ouch. Next, remind yourself, suffering is a part of life. You may also say something like, other people feel this way. I'm not alone. You could also say, we all struggle in our lives. Or, of course, I feel this way. Now go ahead and put your hands over your heart. Feel the warmth of your hands. Feel the gentle touch on your chest. Or you can adopt a soothing touch that you've discovered feels right for you. Say to yourself, may I be kind to myself. You can also ask yourself, what do I need to hear right now to express kindness to myself? 
Perhaps there is a phrase that speaks to you in your particular situation. Something like, may I give myself the compassion that I need. Or may I learn to accept myself as I am. Or may I forgive myself. May I be strong. May I be patient. You can take a few breaths. You can repeat this throughout the day as needed. I invite you to join us back in the space. Blessings to all of us on our journeys of understanding and caring for our own inner werewolves. May we befriend them. May we make them our companions. May we tenderly dig deeper to listen to what they are really telling us that we need for healing, for love, for liberation. May it be so, and amen.